chapter 22, and we're going to be in verse 31 for our key scripture this morning. The title of today's message is the NASA Project. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. And he said unto him, Simon returns to the Lord I'm ready to go with you both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before you shall thrice deny that you know me. So I'm just reading all that so you know where we're at in the story and the narrative leading into the passion of Christ. Let's pray over the word this morning. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your mighty and wonderful word this morning. Father, I pray that I would just be a tool in your hand, that you would anoint the word, Lord God, and Give me the words to speak into our hearts this morning that we may be converted, that we may be changed, and that we may come to know you even better and walk with you in an even deeper way. We pray we need that. We desire that this morning. Let it be done in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Disclaimer. Um, I'm not feeling well. You can probably hear it in my voice been fighting something for a few days, actually a few weeks, finally caught up with me over the past few days. Um, I, I feel like right now, I sound like I'm inside of a tank or a tin can. My ears have needed to pop for like three days. I can't really hear how I sound or anything. Uh, the disclaimer is, so I'm on various types of medication. That's not because I think God can't heal me. That's because I don't want to hawk anything up on the front row. While that, sorry. And see, that's, that's what I'm getting to. What I'm getting to is I'm liable to say anything. That's my point, is this, I'm kind of sleepwalking right now, so uh, don't hold me accountable for anything that I say unless it's good, but don't hold me accountable for the other things. I get it sometimes a little too honest and wacky, so today could, could get a little weird. Is that cool with everybody? Can we have a little grace this morning? Well, okay. So we're in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, and, and honestly, that's really the only scripture that I have this morning is Jesus talking to Simon Peter, and he says, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, that your faith fails not. And when you are converted, everybody say converted. Converted. Strengthen thy brethren. Such an interesting portion of scripture, because we're already 22 chapters into the gospel of Luke. We are basically... Uh, three to three and a half years into the ministry of Jesus Christ at this point. And Peter has been there and been one of the main guys from the beginning. Andrew was like the first guy that recognized who Jesus was, and he went and told his brother Peter, and they've been there basically from the beginning of Christ having a ministry. Uh, John the Baptist would technically be, I guess, the very first guy, uh, but they were all there from the beginning. And Peter was this guy that was um, unparalleled among the original 12 disciples who had become apostles with the exception of Judas. And then Paul, of course, would become really the greatest apostle post-resurrection. But Peter, uh, up to that point, was the guy. 
anywhere that Jesus went, he didn't, he didn't always invite the 12 everywhere. When things were really getting serious and when people really needed to have faith, he said, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. The rest of you stay here. We'll be back. They went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They went into the room when he was healing people. They went everywhere, basically, that he went, except for the few times that he needed to do things on his own. It was always Peter, James, and John. So Peter is this guy. Peter is a leader. Uh, Peter was the one, just a few chapters earlier. Jesus is talking to all of his disciples, and he says, Who do men say that I am? And they say, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're Jeremiah, some say that you're, uh, that you're John reborn. And, and he says, who do you say that I am? And, and none of them either spoke up or none of them got it right. I, I think probably they just were scared to get it wrong and they didn't say anything except for Peter, who was very bold. And he said, we say that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you, you did not discover this on your own. This was given to you as a revelation. This is not revelation from flesh and blood. This is a revelation from my father in heaven. And I'm changing your name to Peter. And upon this rock shall I build my church. That's a pretty serious thing to say to Peter. Upon this church shall I build, upon this rock shall I build my church. That's the medicine talking. <laughs> upon this rock shall I build my church. Peter's this guy. Now, Peter... In Luke chapter 22, of course, Jesus knows what's going to happen. But Peter, at this point, he's the only one that stepped out of the boat and tried to walk on water. He's uh, the defined leader of the 12. John's the beloved, but Peter's the bold leader. And he hasn't denied Christ yet. Obviously, we're talking about the portion where Christ is telling him that you will deny me. But Peter gets a really bad rap for that at the same time. Uh, You don't know what it was like. I don't know what it was like. One thing we know for sure, if you read the Gospel of John real closely, I think in the 17th chapter, only Peter and John were bold enough to walk into the trial with Jesus Christ. John was able to because he was in the lineage of the priesthood, and he actually kind of uh, got Peter in. He was like Peter's fake ID. No, 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 this guy's with me, because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to get in. So he got into the deal. Peter was the only guy other than John. So Peter was really, really out of place. He broke the law in front of everybody just to get closer. So it wasn't like he went in there and he was just like trying to run away. He was actually being very bold. But then when things started getting crazy, yes, we see that he denied Christ three times and he felt terrible about it. But of course, Jesus turns around by the book of Acts and gives him the keys to the kingdom. The point that I'm trying to get to is why, why Jesus would tell Peter, when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's interesting, yes? Who's cold? Who's hot? Who's lukewarm? <laughs> oh, I love it. So everybody else is good? Okay, I know I'm not feeling well because I'm a little bit cold. And that's really weird. <clears throat> they may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. That's verse 30. I actually have no idea why I just said that. Y'all have to, y'all have, to have a little grace with me. So here we are. Uh, very odd that he would say this to Peter. So this is what's on my heart for us this morning. Uh, and we're, we're trying to get serious here, at least for a few minutes. What was on my heart this morning, I, I was praying and I was reading. And I was trying to figure out really what to talk about today. And I was having a hard time breaking through and figuring out what to talk about. I wanted to continue the series of the Epic of the Forsaken because I felt like there was one more message to kind of end that series. But I, I didn't really feel right about it. And 
just thinking about where we are as a church and trying to zone in. And uh, I really wasn't getting anything. And honestly, I pulled up in the parking lot this morning of Mario's and I decided the best thing I could do while I'm waiting for my, my buddy that makes all the pizzas to come and unlock the door is just lean the chair back and try to get 10 more minutes of rest because, it, you know, not feeling well and not getting a lot of sleep. And I said to myself, if I do this, I'm sure the Lord will speak to me and show me what to talk about this morning. And sure enough, he did, which didn't help the rest part, but it did help the today part. And so what, what he began to birth in me and what I feel like it's so appropriate is that God is sending a message out right now. What he wants for Edgewater Church. Everybody say, that's me. What he wants for the American church. Everybody say, that's me. What he wants for his end time generation. Everybody say, that's me. Is he wants people to understand that, yes, just like Peter, you have done what Peter did. You have gained a revelation and you have decided in your heart that you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Amen. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 that if we believe that and we call out of his name, that we can be saved. That's all it says that we really need to do. We just have to believe. There's a lot that comes after that. But in order to start this relationship with Jesus Christ, you just have to know that he's the son of God and you have to believe that he died and he, and he rose again and forgave your sins. All of the things that we all believe. Yes? Amen. That's what the Bible tells us. So we've done that part. Now it's interesting, <clears throat> the concept of uh, how many times... Is, it, is there feedback or is it, am I hearing things that are a little bit? Okay, I, I can't really hear. Anyway, let me try to remain still. There will be no feedback. So, it's not going to work well. Um, we've done that. And it's interesting the pattern in the Word of God of how many times somebody decides to follow him or like Jacob to wrestle him, to gain their blessing, to stand firm. It's interesting how many times God takes people like this and changes their name. He changes lots of names in the Bible, changes people's names. The reason that he does that is it's a symbol, it's a typology of what happens to you and me. The Bible says that whenever we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that no longer are we our own, but we are his. The Bible actually says that we become the body of Christ, which means Jesus himself is no longer present so you are Jesus to the people. And well, think about it for a second. If you're a believer, you're called what? Christian, yes? Where did that title come from? Jesus Christ. So you, you've, you've experienced a name change, whether you know it or not. I don't know what your name meant before, but it doesn't define who you are now. That's the point. Uh, you can look your name up, and it probably has some kind of Greek or Latin context. You can look it up online. You can Google it. Uh, and if you go to 15 different pages, you'll probably get 15 different definitions of what your name means. What I like to do is take it all the way back to the Hebrew, because that's always only ever had one meaning. Whatever you want to do and see what your name means. See what it means. And then realize it doesn't matter. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ, your name really doesn't mean what you think it means anyway. If you look up your, your name in, in the Bible and it means grace, that's awesome. But what you need to look at is your life. Have you been graceful? As it doesn't matter what your name is. Your name means whoever you are. So well, I am Thad Calderon. Chris Lee can give you a good idea of what that meant for many years because we went to high school together. But regardless of what my name means, 
I had a reputation. Everybody say, that's me. We all have a reputation. And that's what your name means. When people look at you, when people look at Crystal and they say, hey, Crystal, or they're talking about Crystal, they're talking about who you are, your reputation. When they think of you, they think about the way you talk, the way you act, the way you dress, the things you do. Your reputation is your name. I don't know if I want to go all the way there yet, but remember that. I think I got a little off track. I was telling you what the message that God has for us. We are the church. We are the end times generation. We are Edgewater. And we've done what Peter did, which is accept and fully believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I believe what God is saying right now is my people need to understand your name has been changed. A.K.A. you've been saved. But you need to be converted. You need to be converted. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't make sense. When I got saved, I got converted. Yes, you did. That's one form of conversion. But obviously, according to Luke chapter 22, there's another conversion that needs to take place. Let me put it to you like this. When Peter got his name changed, do you remember what his name was before it got changed? His name was Simon. Yes. Have you ever looked Simon up and figured out what Simon? We all know that Peter means rock. What does Simon mean? Well, unfortunately, if you look up Simon, you won't find a definition. It'll just tell you that Peter means rock. So you have to actually go and understand the Aramaic form of Hebrew and look it up in that form. Or you can just take my word for it. Whenever you look up Simon in the Aramaic Hebrew, where it really comes from, is the name Simeon. And it means heard or to hear. Are you listening? Heard or to hear. Why did you ever accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Something you heard, right? Somebody told you. How can they be saved unless they hear? How can they hear unless there be a preacher? You heard. You decided it was true. And you accepted. And you were saved. Simon's full name was Simon Barjona. Bar in Hebrew is just a way of saying of. Or in a person's name, it means son of. But it really just means, it means either one, of or son of. So Simon Barjona, heard of Jonah. What does Jonah mean in Hebrew, I wonder? Jonah means dove. I hope you're putting this together. What does the dove represent in the Bible? The spirit came down like a dove. So he got his name changed from one who has heard about the spirit to Peter, the rock upon whom I'm going to build my church. So that's what's happened to you. If there's no better form of salvation than to have yourself changed from one who has heard about the spirit to one who stands firm on the spirit. Because rock of Jonah. Bar Jonah. Now he stands on the spirit. So we all heard. Then we decided we believed. Then we were saved. And now we take a stand. And unfortunately, in the Americanized church, at least I don't I don't preach much overseas. So maybe it's different. But in the Americanized church, that's where a lot of it stops. I no longer do I hear, but I stand. But God is saying, not only do I want you to not hear and stand, but I want you to do. The Bible says 
not a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. So, Peter, you got saved. You got your name changed. Now, do me a favor. When you get converted, will you strengthen your brethren? Maybe that's a good litmus test as to whether you've been converted or not. Do you strengthen your brethren? Here's, here, here's what it boils down to. Everybody say love. 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 God is love. Amen? Amen? God is love. What he ends up telling Peter later on, after he's resurrected, when he comes back and they recognize who he is, he sits down, he breaks bread, and he cooks fish, and he eats with Peter. Which answers a question, by the way, if you're paying attention. In your glorified body in heaven, do you eat? Apparently you do. Cooks fish, and he sits down, and he eats with Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, thank you, Lord. Yes, I love you. And he says, well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. And then Peter's like, yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Then feed my sheep. You see, it's, it's not enough to have heard of the things of God. It's not even enough to like the things of God. If you like your church, you're doing well. If you like the person next to you, you're doing well. If you like the Holy Spirit, that's a good thing. If you like the idea of speaking in tongues, good for you. If you like the idea of tongues being interpreted, good for you. If you like the idea of prophecy, you're doing well. If you like words of wisdom, you are unique. If you like word of knowledge, you are a unique snowflake. If you like all the nine gifts of the Spirit, that is awesome. But Jesus wants you to be converted from a person that likes the T-shirt, that likes the things of God, that wears the bumper sticker on their car, that likes being called a Christian, and he wants you to be converted into somebody that loves the things of God. Loves the things of God. Everybody say love. 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 So at some point we have to love speaking in tongues. That means every time we show up, God, it would be great if it happened. And we got to love the interpretation. We got to love prophecy. We got to love word of wisdom. We have to love our church. We have to love each other. We have to love God and all the things of God. If not, we have not yet been converted. We're just walking along in a name change situation. We've told the world, I heard of the dove. I heard of the spirit. And I I believe it. And I'm going to stand on it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But we've got to move from being this rock solid. I am a Christian and you will never change my mind. I believe in God. I go to church. I read my Bible. I blah, blah, blah. And you have to turn into somebody that never needs to say that because you love the things of God so much. It is incredibly evident. Here's the thing God was showing me. When you go from America to a foreign nation. 
You get to that airport in Brazil or wherever it is you're going. We went to Israel was the place I remember the best because I got put to the side as a possible terror suspect. I think they just see every, I don't remember if I had a beard or not. They do like every fifth person or something. I don't, maybe they didn't like my last name because I couldn't say it. But I got shuffled over and the rest of my church is like, oh, we're waiting on you. And I'm like, well, apparently my hair spray looks like a pipe bomb. I don't know what's going on. So uh, anyway, once, once we got through that, uh, got to the, uh, the currency exchange part of the airport and had to convert my American money into money that they accepted over there. Everybody say convert. Peter, when you are converted, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. I realized as great as American money is, I've decided to go to Israel for the next two weeks, and it's no good over here. It was good over here, and it's worth more than their money over here, but they won't accept it over here. It, it had to be converted. In other words, you were living life one way, and you heard of Jesus, you heard of the dove, you decided to believe in it, and you decided to start going to church. But so many of us have taken our past and who we are. Everybody say my reputation, my, my, name. my name. And we've tried to step into this other country of Christianity without converting from one thing to another. And we don't realize that everything that we had over here really is worthless over here. And we can bring it with you, but it's just baggage and won't do you any good. So over here, <clears throat> over here, you might have had the best friends in the world. When you step over here, it doesn't, it doesn't convert. If your friends want to come with you, praise God. If they don't, they're done. I love you. I'll never leave you. I, you know, in a Jesus-like way, I'm not going to forsake you. But let me tell you a secret. They'll do it to you. It's going to happen. Or you can decide, I'm going to be a hearer about the dove and, and tell everybody that I believe in it, but I'm not willing to make that conversion. Over here to succeed, you had to be really, really confident in who you are. <clears throat> and maybe you tried to step into the church and bring that with you. And God is wanting you to know, listen, I'm glad you heard and I'm glad you decided to believe. But if you're going to walk over here, that needs to be converted. That's not going to do you any good. Being confident in who you are is not the currency of the kingdom. Being confident in who he is, <clears throat> is the currency of the kingdom. See, your pride does not convert into success. The Bible says, let those that want to be exalted first be humble. You've got to be willing to give something up in order to step over here and get something in return. Your old reputation, who you used to be, your old life, everything you were good at, everything that defines you, everything you were about needs to be converted into something else before you fully walk in this country that we call salvation and the gifting of the spirit. Amen. Once you are converted, because you cannot strengthen your brethren with stories about how much you're able to drink out of a beer funnel. It's just not going to work. But that's who I was. That's who you were. 
And that money won't buy you anything over here. It just doesn't work. You can't strengthen your brethren with all of the accolades you received before you knew Jesus Christ. Because you can't give God any credit for that. You can talk about the times maybe you should have died and God had his hand on you. That's great. And we all, that's, that's awesome. But God, God doesn't, doesn't get credit that, that you dated the, the, the head cheerleader for two years. That's not going to strengthen your brethren. That's just braggadocio. And that doesn't convert. That's a real word. What? It's real. Look it up. Jeez. I think it's Italian. <clears throat> so there's the, the gifts of the Spirit that we have to not like, but love. Everybody say, I, I love. love. A famous person whose name... I cannot pronounce, said, there is no device or no disguise that is able to sufficiently hide love where it truly exists, nor can it feign love where it is not. In other words, what she was saying was, as far as we're concerned, if you truly love God, it will find you out. We'll figure it out. You can't hide it for long. And if you don't, it's also going to be a little bit obvious. We're not going to kick you out. We want to help you find him. We want to help you fall in love with him. But you can't hide it for long. You've either decided not only am I going to hear and believe, but I am going to convert in my heart and I'm going to start loving these gifts of the spirit. I'm going to start loving the fruit of the spirit. I'm going to start living it. I love the things of God. In other words, <clears throat> we've heard about mercy and we've heard about grace and we've heard about forgiveness and we like all of these things. But we've got to learn to love these things. If you love these things, you want to share these things. So how often do you share forgiveness, grace and mercy on the freeway? You know, when somebody cuts you off, when somebody swerves into your lane, the things that come out of your mouth, Amen. the things that come out of your mouth, Amen. the things that run through your head that a lot of us end up saying, it's so crazy. We are driving weapons among weapons. And we get so angry when somebody messes up. The things that you say, could you imagine, nobody really, if you were in an elevator, right? And the person standing next to you went, oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> you would never consider saying the things that you say to that same person if they do it in a car. Are you kidding me? Somebody swerves into your lane and it's like, you have to do this for two seconds of your life. And it turned out okay. But now you're, you're hoping that their kids grow up motherless because they are a human piece of garbage. I hope you die. People say that to each other. I'm on medication. In an elevator, you would never do that. Somebody steps in your way, nudges. You would never turn around and say, you human piece of garbage. You leaned into me. But put a little bit of metal and glass in between you. 
what happened to your love for forgiveness, mercy, and grace? Maybe you don't love those things. Maybe you just like them and nobody's ever told you that you need to be converted because when you love those things, you want to share those things. It's not that you walk in the spirit 24-7, but if you love forgiveness, if you truly understand it, somebody was asking me the other day a very, very good question and one that I have asked many times about uh, what Louie mentioned about what's going on, these, these, these two brothers, these bombers in Boston and all of the mayhem that they caused, everything that they did. <clears throat> and this person was asking me, people that do things like this and, and Muslim terrorists and, and yada, yada, so on and so forth, are we honestly really supposed to pray for these people and hope for any, anything good to happen to them? And that's a good question. I ask that many times myself. When you really understand when you begin to understand the things of God to such a degree, and this person understood, it's just a, a question we all have. It's this, part of your, it's this part of your brain, this part of everybody's brain that I think exists. It's a differentiation, this balancing act between what we call the of course, of course part of the brain, of course represents everything that you, uh, everything that's right. It points towards things that you really, really do believe. It doesn't really necessarily say them perfectly or describe them fully, but it points towards things that you really believe. Of course, of course things, of course. Then there's that other little part of your brain over here that says, but maybe, right? Of course, but maybe. In other words, of course we're supposed to pray for our enemies. Of course we are. We all know that. Of course we're supposed to pray for these guys. Of course we're supposed to pray for the Muslim terrorists. Of course, we hoped that bin Laden, uh, before he got killed, would have found Jesus Christ and found a way to make it into heaven. Of course, we believe that and we desire that. But maybe some people are just so evil. I mean, God created hell for some reason, right? That's not true. The of course is true. The maybe is that other little part of your brain that, that kind of makes you balance things out a little bit. And so we all have these questions. Of course, we should pray for these guys. But maybe... And you've got to try your best to get rid of the but maybe when you begin to fall in love with the things of God. Because maybe they will end up in hell. Maybe there is no hope for them because their hearts will never change. God knows that. You don't have to figure that out. You can get rid of the but maybe and give it over to God and just worry about the things of God. Fall in love fully with the things of God. And what you'll begin to produce is a God-like nature. Not God-like as in God-like. I mean, you know what I mean? Jesus Christ-like. It'll be easier to forgive people. We all believe that God exists. We all believe that God is real. We all believe in the passion of Jesus Christ. We all believe in what he did on that cross. But it can be so hard for us. What does forgiveness mean? Forgiveness means unmerited pardon. Grace is unmerited favor. Mercy is like unmerited forgiveness, even though forgiveness itself is really unmerited. We forgive others because of what Jesus did, not because they deserve it, right? He has grace on us because he's amazing, not because we deserve it. And so we have grace on others because he has grace on us. We show mercy to other people because he shows mercy to us. So it doesn't matter what the situation is in your life. The Bible says, and we know Love always wins. But what I want you to walk away with this morning is this idea of not just hearing, 
and, and standing on a rock and not just saying I am this person, but converting, converting. Our worship team can go ahead and come up and I'm going to tell you why this is called the NASA project. Everybody kind of aware that God strategically names places all over the earth. Some examples. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, right? One of the best examples of who Jesus Christ was in the Old Testament when Moses uh, was delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt and they were starving in the wilderness and God sent manna down from heaven. And of course, later in the Gospel of John, around chapter 8, we read that Jesus Christ declared that I am the bread of life, the bread from heaven, right? I am the bread, I am the water, all of these things. So he is the bread from heaven. Well, Bethlehem happens to mean house of bread. Coincidence? Of course it's not a coincidence. We already looked at Gethsemane a couple of weeks ago. Jesus Christ walks into the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where he prays, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And the capillaries burst in his head because of the stress of the prayer and the anxiety involved, and his sweat turns into blood and drips on the ground, right? And so we looked at Gethsemane and the Hebrew letters and found out that it means to carry forth the sign of the covenant, press blood from the sun. It's literally what it means. Coincidence? I don't think so. But it was named Gethsemane well before Jesus Christ ever walked in there. He was laid in a manger, which means bread basket. He eventually moved to Galilee, which means place of the cycle or place of the circle where he performed his first wedding, which was turning uh, at the wedding. He turned, she performed the wedding first miracle at the wedding where he turned water into wine, uh, which would be circular, what he's going to do in the new kingdom. And he said, I'll no longer take another glass of this wine until I'm with you in my kingdom. So he ended, he began it how he was going to end it, place of the circle, cycle. It goes on and on and on. Excuse me. Jerusalem means place of peace, which, of course, is the opposite of what it is now. But in Revelation 22, that's where heaven is landing. The new Jerusalem on top of the old Jerusalem. It's no coincidence the way God names places, in other words, yes? My opinion, although I think we can back it up many, 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 many times. So imagine my excitement and my bewilderment when I looked up a word. You're talking about me, right? Pastor Thad that loves to look things up in Hebrew and Greek. All right. I look up the word forgive. Kind of a big deal word in Christianity. And realize I have never looked this word up in Hebrew before. I never have. I know that I haven't. Because when I looked it up, it is spelled N-A-S-A. The word forgive, as used over 640 times in the Old Testament, is spelled N-A-S-A. NASA. It's where you live. It's where I live. It's where we built this church. Happens to be what Barack Obama hates. Just a coincidence. N-A-S-A. I'm not saying that because I'm a Republican, because I'm not. I don't like Republicans or Democrats, just throwing that out there. You can hate me if you want to, that's fine, just love him. I just don't like politicians, and Obama's a politician. See what I'm saying? N-A-S-A. <clears throat> and it means forgive. And when you look up what, it, what the definition of it is, of course it talks about pardons and it talks about unmerited, but it also means to lift up and to carry. 
which adds an interesting concept to whenever we forgive our brethren, forgive those that have harmed us. So people often ask, well, what does it mean to forgive? Like, I feel like I'm over it, but I'm not sure if I've forgiven that person. Do you lift them up in prayer? And if they need your help, will you help them? If you don't lift them up and you're not really willing to carry a burden, it doesn't mean that you go seek out a burden so that you can put your forgiveness on display, but if they have a burden and they need help, is it in you to help them? If it's not in you to help them, you must have bitterness toward them. Now, that's one way you can look at whether or not you've actually forgiven. NASA is how you pronounce it. NASA. It's where we're at. It's where we built a church. I don't think it's coincidental. When we first planted this church, people from this area met with my wife and I, other, other pastors and leaders even, that have tried to build churches here. And they said, building a spirit-filled church doesn't work here. You have to be part of an organization, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, uh, whatever. And I said, but we don't really do organizations. Sorry. So we're going to try this out. And we decided, I think maybe what the problem was, some of the people that came through with independent churches before or ideas about spirit-filled church had a real idea about spirit-filled church, rocking the house, charismatic, uh, gifts of the spirit, spirit-filled church. And if they just got crazy enough that it would attract enough people And it would be like on fire and lively and there'd be this crowd and it didn't work out. And so many have come through and left, come through and left. Maybe none of them understood where they were. Maybe they didn't know what NASA meant. They didn't understand it's not just about the gifts of the spirit. It's about falling in love with the people of God and the things of God. You are in a place that means forgiveness. And if all you're going to be is a hardened, spirit-filled, charismatic person, it's not going to work out. NASA. In the Hebrew, it's spelled Nun, Sheen, Aleph. Three letters. Nun means, in Hebrew, sun or air. Sheen means destruction. And Aleph means great leader or ox. So when you read that in Hebrew, what forgiveness literally means, what NASA literally means, are you ready for this? What NASA literally means, I want you to think about the picture of the space shuttle and the little bar holding it. What does that kind of look like? And it's pointing up and it's going up and it's making this. What that literally means is the sun's destruction is of or by the father. The sun's destruction is by the great leader, which Olive means great leader, but it's always been known and understood to mean the father because it's the first letter of Elohim, which is how they say God in in the book of Genesis chapter one and a a lot through the book of Genesis, Elohim, the first name given in the Bible for God, Elohim, great leader. The destruction of the son or the son's destruction is of the father. What is that? What does that give us a picture of the cross, right? That is forgiveness. That is forgiveness. Sacrifice for those that you love, sacrifice for those that despitefully use you, sacrifice for those that know you and those that don't know you, sacrifice for those that understand and those that don't understand. Shed blood because they are human beings and they deserve it. If you deserve a chance at heaven, everybody deserves a chance at heaven. And the fact is, nobody deserves a chance at heaven, but he's that good. And so we all get a chance at heaven. Next time you're driving down Saturn or down 
the road that we happen to have our church on, NASA Road 1, I want you to think about that. To lift up, to bear a burden, to forgive. What we are building literally is a NASA project. Roger, feels good, buddy.